You know, folks, we've been, I was noticing, I was like, I've been saying, oh, we've been doing this for a few months. We've actually started this series back in July. So we're finishing up First Peter. Here it is, February. We started this in July. And we've been looking at the whole issue of passing through. Because the reality is, is this life that we are living right now is only temporary. There is something more that awaits you. You've been called to glory. But in the meantime, you need to know how to live here. Because stuff does happen. Difficult struggles do occur. Things that happen out of the blue and you don't know what to do with. How do you live here? And I think it's appropriate that Peter, many times in this, in this letter, refers to you and I as pilgrims, as sojourners. People who are here temporarily. And that we have something more for later on. And so we're going to look today at his final, really final few verses that he's telling us what we need to do while we're here. And I could sum it up in one phrase. In fact, that's the title of our message today, is hang in there. Hang in there, because the fact of the matter is, life is tough, and you don't know what to expect. And there are going to be many times, especially when it comes to your faith, that you're going to want to throw in the towel. That you're going to want to give up. Because somehow, maybe somebody communicated to you that by trusting in Jesus, everything would be okay. But you've yet to find that to be true at all. If anything, by trusting in Jesus, things actually got worse. And then maybe you've listened to those guys who come along and tell you, well, it's because you don't have enough faith. So you try to wrestle with trying to figure out, how do I get enough faith to live this life? Well, my folks... It's not an issue of whether or not you have enough faith. It's an issue of that's the way life is. We live in a sin-trodden world. We live in a world that's been marred by sin, and people suffer. In fact, he's told you many times in this letter, you're going to suffer. You're going to go through difficulties. So how do we live through that? Well, today, he's going to focus on three things that we need to do. Three areas that we need to be in tune to, just as a final exhortation to us, a final encouragement of what we need to do as we're living life, as we're waiting for later, as we struggle in this world. And so we're going to look at that today. We're going to look at it in First Peter chapter 5. We're going to focus on verses 6 through 11. So if you have your Bibles, let's look first of all at verse 6. Look at what Peter says. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. But may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you've suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now here's what we're going to do, folks. We're going to see if we take these verses, these five verses, 
we're actually going to see six verses, excuse me. We're going to see that we can divide it up into three sections. We're going to see, first of all, he's going to tell us to stay humble. That's so important if you're going to be living in this life and you're waiting for what's later on. Stay humble. He's going to tell us to be alert. You've got to be on guard. You've got to watch out. We're going to see why here in a moment. And then he's going to tell us to pray. You need to be praying people. Probably the number one area that believers struggle with in this world is not the suffering because, yes, you'll get through it. Yes, it's difficult. The number one thing we struggle with is praying, even knowing how to pray. And we're going to look at prayer for a moment here as we finish up our letter here. So let's look together. The first thing he's going to talk to us about is that we need to stay humble. Look at what he says here. In fact, verse 6 kind of spoke to me this week. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Now, three things I'm going to show you about staying humble here, okay? Three things. Here's the first one. You have to allow yourself to be humbled by God. You have to allow yourself to be humbled by God. What? Are you kidding me, George? No, I'm not. Listen, one of the things that's interesting to me is is that there are many reasons why difficult struggles happen in your life. In fact, I can remember when I became a believer 34 years ago that people were talking back then about why suffering was happening. Why suffering? And, and that the scripture doesn't say any one thing. And that's correct. The scripture, when you look at it, a couple things you need to realize. Number one, the, the scripture assumes that you're going to suffer. Okay? The scripture assumes that you're going to suffer. And then number two, the scripture will talk about how God uses the suffering in your life. And one of the things that God uses suffering in your life for is to humble you. So if you go to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 to 10, it's very interesting. The very first thing he says there in, in verse 7 of chapter 12 is, and lest I should be exalted above measure... So there he is, so lest he be prideful, God, what? Gave him a thorn in the flesh to humble him. He was humbled by his experience, his difficult struggle. So the thing he's trying to tell us is, is we got to develop a mindset where we allow ourselves to be humbled. To be humbled. And, and let me, this is one of the things that I found very interesting, okay? When you're younger, you don't think this way. When you're older, especially when you get to midlife, you start thinking this way. But I want to express something to you. What happens is, is that have you ever found yourself frustrated that the things that you want to accomplish and the goals that you have and the ambitions and all of this that you want to achieve don't happen. You ever been that way? You ever been there where it's like, it just seems like nothing's going the right way and la, 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 and all of this, and, and, and you're like, what's going on? God, why are you doing this to me? Remember, you've probably said things like this. God, why are you doing this to me? If I had this other guy's whatever, I could do it, but I'm, it's me. 
Maybe God's not wanting you to achieve. This verse speaks to that. Maybe the reason why you're not achieving what you're wanting, the goals that you want to have, is because God's got something else in mind for you. Because God's got a bigger picture. And the bigger picture isn't you achieving. The bigger picture for you is you to become like Christ. To be like Jesus. And maybe what's happening is, is that he's humbling you under his mighty hand. And the mighty hand there reflects what? That he's a sovereign God. So can we remind ourselves of something, folks? Things just don't happen in your life when you're a child of God. The sovereign God is allowing those things to happen for a purpose. For your life. Because he's using all of it to mold you into the person who's not just for this life, but for the life later on. Do you understand? Because you're just passing through here. You're just passing through. You're a pilgrim, a sojourner. So allow yourself to be humbled by God. Here's the second thing I want you to see here. It comes out of this verse. This is possible when you recognize that God will ultimately exalt you. See, this is, because it's like, okay, wonderful, George. You say, go ahead and let God exalt you. Well, I'm sick of being like this. Well, I understand that, but the reason why you can do it, you can hang on through the midst of what you're going through, is because you recognize that the God who is humbling you is the one who will lift you up later. The one who will exalt you later. Do you understand what I'm saying? The one who will honor you later. Let him be the one to exalt you. Because all the effort and stuff that we're trying to do to bring it isn't doing it. In fact, even if you could achieve some of the things that you want to achieve, if you recognize this yet, you're not satisfied even with that. There's no satisfaction there. I mean, think about it. You've been waiting, waiting year after year for that beautiful buck to walk out at the right moment for you to take him. And then you take him and guess what? You celebrate for a little bit and another hunting season's coming. And what are you at the next hunting season? Waiting for the next bigger one. That'll bring you what? satisfaction and a little less money out of your pocket, right? For some of you, a lot less money if you mount it. The reality is, nothing brings satisfaction. But see, when you humble yourself, you're able to humble yourself and place yourself into God's hand because you realize God's going to be the one to exalt me. And that's where true satisfaction is. Now, it's interesting. He tells you to humble yourself, and he connects. They're connected together. The next verse, verse 7, is connected with this whole thing of humility. And there's a reason why. Look at what it says in verse 7. Look at what he says there. Casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. That's got to be there. Verse 7 has to be there if you're going to do verse 6. 
Verse 7 has to be there if you're going to do verse 6. Because verse 6 is telling you is to bear with the stuff that you're going with, the stuff that God's bringing you through, and humble yourself in the midst of all that you're going through, recognizing he's the one who's going to exalt you later on. And verse 7 has to be there. Why? Because you can take the stuff that you're going through right now and cast it onto who, folks? The one who cares for you. Isn't that interesting? It's not like he's saying, just humble yourself, deal with it. No, no. Humble yourself, but give it to me. That's what he's saying here. Humble yourself, but give it to me. So this is the point I want you to see here. Therefore, you can leave your problems with the one who truly cares for you. You can leave your problems with the one who truly cares for you. See, as you're going through it, as you realize that, God, you are the one who who is humbling me under your mighty hand. And, and yes, you are the one who's going to exalt me later on. But right now, as I'm going through this, Father, I can put these things on you. Because you care for me. And that makes sense, doesn't it? If you think about Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7, he says, Be anxious for nothing, but in all things through prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will what? Guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Don't worry about it. Give it to me, and I'll give you peace. See, this is what he's talking about here, because you know that he what? He ultimately cares for you. He knows what you're going through. He knows what you're struggling with. He's the one who's allowed it. He's the one who's humbling you through it. So you got to stay humble. Stay humble. That's the first thing he's telling us here. Then we move on to verses 8 and 9, and he's going to tell you that as we just hang in there, that you and I need to be alert you got to be alert. you got to be watchful. Why? Because you've got an enemy. Oh, yeah, it's that guy at work. No, 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 I'm not talking about the guy at work or the neighbor who's got the whole house full of cats that use your, your yard as their personal bathroom. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about that kind of enemy. I'm talking about an enemy who is far greater and stronger and more adversarial than that. It's Satan. Look at what he says here in verse 8. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. So three things I want you to see here. First of all, that word sober, we use that in terms of today in our culture because of the addiction crisis that we see people in, whether they're addicted to alcohol or drugs or something else, we talk about sobriety. Well, that word comes from the word that we have here, but it means more than that here in the biblical context. It means self-control. Self-control. So what he's saying here, look at what he says. He says, be sober, be self-controlled, or be vigilant, or watchful. So here's what I want you to see here. The journey requires that you be self-controlled and watchful. The journey 
that we're going through as we're waiting for that time when we'll go to be with Jesus. As believers here, you and I have to, number one, be self-controlled in our life. You just can't let it all hang out and do whatever you want to do because it's going to get you in trouble. And number two, you've got to be watchful. You've got to be alert because you have an enemy. In fact, that brings up the second point here because he tells you who the enemy is. Look at what he says. Satan is waiting to mess you up. Satan is waiting for you to mess up so he can mess you up. Do you understand? Satan is waiting for you to mess up. You ever had somebody like that at work? You ever, you ever hey, hear somebody like, oh, they're just waiting for me to do something wrong? You ever, had, you ever heard statements like that? Oh, they're just waiting for something to go wrong here so they can pounce in and do whatever, fire you, do whatever. Same thing's going on, except, folks, you have somebody, you have an adversary that's mentioned here who is roaming around like a lion just waiting for the opportunity to swoop in for the kill. And Satan is waiting for you to mess up. I think it's interesting. When you go to the book of Acts, and it's it's amazing passage of scripture. It's, it's where the sons of Sceva are trying to cast out a demon from a guy, and they try to cast him out in the name of Jesus, in the name of Paul. And the demon speaks back to them and says, Jesus we know, and Paul we know, but who are you? Now the interesting thing is that when you look at the original languages, there's two different words there for know. The first word they use is Jesus we know, meaning they know by personal experience, Jesus. Why? Because he's God, the creator. Then they say, Paul we know. The word they use there for know is knowledge by, are you ready for this, observation. They know Paul by observing him. What does that tell you? You've got an enemy that's just watching you, folks waiting for you to make the wrong decision, waiting for you to be not self-controlled, waiting for you to let your guard down. And don't we do that, folks? That's how come we sin, right? We sin, and, and so he's waiting to destroy us. And how does he destroy us? Does he beat us down? No, no, he doesn't have to do that. Here's how he wipes out most Christians. Number one way, accusation. First of all, temptation Accusation. What? Accusing you. Accusing the brethren. He's the one who speaks to you and reminds you of that thing that you did 20 years ago. Nobody else remembers, but you do, and he does. Ac accusation. Here's the third way that he can try to beat you down. Lying to you. Telling you lies. Lies. He's trying to destroy your life. Satan is waiting for you to mess up. So you've got to be alert. Now, how do you resist him? I think that's interesting. Look at what verse 9 says, because this is what it's telling you. Verse 9, resist him. Steadfast in, the steadfast in the knowledge, knowing the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. Two things that you can do to resist. Now, here's what it says. It's not saying. It's not saying that you do like the TV and become a demon hunter. 
That's not what it's talking about here. It's talking about that in your daily life, as you're facing accusation, as you're facing temptation, as you're facing the lies that the enemy throws at you, you can resist him. How? Here's my point. Resist him by understanding the truth of your faith and the common struggle. Resist him by understanding the truth of your faith and the common struggle. What do you mean the truth of my faith? All right, well, let's stop for a moment. Let's have a little quiz here. When you came to Jesus and you accepted him into your life as your Savior, was that something that you could do on your own? Was there something that you... Did you have to do enough good deeds for Jesus to become your Savior? Oh, only a few of you. Everybody else is like, oh, you're... Is that true or not, folks? Did, could you do something for your salvation? No, okay, now we're awake. You guys didn't get enough coffee when you came in this morning, okay? Now we're awake. No, you couldn't do anything. So let me ask you a question. Can you do anything to keep your salvation? Okay, again, we're down to, because now people aren't sure. Okay, I'll say it again. Can you do anything to keep your salvation? No. Say it like you believe it. Or has the enemy already been working on you? See, this is how you resist him. So let me, let me give you another question here. Number one, are you going to sin? No. Okay, now we're a little bit more lively, right? So you know you're going to sin. You know you're going to mess up. Are you going to lose your salvation because of that? Why? Because is it based on you or is it based on Jesus? Based on Jesus. But see, the enemy will come to you, and this is how he comes to you. He comes to you, and he lies to you, and he says to you, oh, you must not be a good enough Christian. Because think about the thoughts you had back there. Think about the way that you treated that waitress at that restaurant. Think about the way that you talked to your spouse or the way you talked to your kids. Think about these thoughts. Think about that thought. You must not be good enough. Does that is that the way he attacks us, folks? Yeah. And if we're not ready, it'll defeat us, right? If we're not ready, if we're not watchful. I think it's interesting, the epistles talk about, the Apostle Paul talks about that we are mindful of his ways. Talking about Satan, that he is mindful of the ways that Satan will attack us. I can almost guarantee you folks, if you looked at the ways that you struggle in your issue of your faith every day, you'll see a pattern with how the enemy constantly comes to you and tries to attack you in this area all the time either bringing up some past sin or telling you some lie for you to believe in or giving some sort of temptation that's always there here's what he's telling you you need to resist him with an understanding of your faith the faith is that jesus christ did it all for you and you're trusting in him not yourself that's what you got to have an understanding with is the understanding of your faith now what is this common struggle thing george well first corinthians says this there's no temptation taken to man except that which is what Common to man. One of the things that the lies that Satan will tell to you is he'll say to you, you're the only one going through this. You're the only one struggling with this temptation. 
You're the only one who's doing this. Nobody else has that problem. It's only you. Doesn't he do that with us? Yeah, he sure does. And the way that you can resist him is to know, number one, that what I'm going through, everybody else is going through too. You realize that? That what I'm going through, everybody else is going through. And other men have struggled with it. Other women have struggled with it. And they have held on. And I'm holding on because my faith isn't in myself. My faith is in who, folks? Jesus. You see what's going on here? Be alert. Not just stay humble. Not just realizing that God is the one who's humbling you and you cast your cares upon him. But also now, you be sober. You be self-controlled in your life. You be what? Alert. You be watchful. Why? Because you got an enemy. But if you got an enemy, you can resist him. How? By resting in the truth and what? Realizing that you're not in this alone. You're not in this alone. Do you understand? You're not alone. He wants you to believe that you're alone. So let me just make, make a point here. Hebrews says this. Hebrews says, Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as some are prone to do. Why? Because he goes on in that verse and he tells you, so that we can stir up each other towards what? Love and good works. The way that you're going to be strengthened to stand against Satan in your life with the, the way that he attacks you is because not just you, because you come to a church service and sing some songs and listen to some guy speak at you. It's because you're a part of a group of believers who what? Get together and what? encourage each other strengthen each other that's why we have bible studies that's why we're having a dinner later on that's why we're going skating together so that you can interact with each other do you understand that's what life is about because if you're trying to do it on your own you are setting yourself up for a failure he's going to knock the legs right out from under you third thing he tells us in this passage to do and that's pray once you look with me at verse 10 and 11 but may the God of all grace who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus after you have suffered a while perfect establish strengthen and settle you to him be the glory and dominion forever and ever amen Here's what he's saying. Number one, God has called you to his glory, which will come after the current struggle. God has called you to his glory, which will come after the current struggle. You know what I want you to do? If you have your Bibles, I want you to, I want you to underline a phrase here because it's, it, it, you could just pass it by and not grasp the truth of it because Peter is making a point that you and I need to understand. Look at verse 10. Look at what he says right after he says, called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus. Look at that phrase and let it grasp you. After you have what? suffered a while. What's he assuming here? I'll tell you what he's assuming. Things aren't always going to go well. Do you understand me? You're going to suffer. Remember I told you that's the assumption of the Bible? The Bible assumes that things are going to go wrong. 
Do you understand? And he's called you to something more than that. He's called you to his glory. That's where your hope is. That's what you're holding on for. You're holding on for later. Not now. We can try all we want to make everything perfect now, but it's not perfect. Do you know what I'm saying? Some of you have lived in your house a lot of years. You know, Lori and I, it'll be this, this, this fall will be, this, this summer will be 18 years that we've lived in our house. And I can already tell you that uh, she's probably got another paint scheme ready for somewhere. And you're thinking, well, we just painted whatever 10 years ago. Yeah, but it's 10 years later and that's no longer in style. See, here's the thing. You can do all you want to make it better here now, but it doesn't last. Does There's no satisfaction there, is it? No. No, not at all. In fact, you can almost expect everything to what? Break down. Get rusty. Corrupt. Do you know what I mean? That's just life. Even your bodies fall apart, right? You know, you muscle bound up here and now it all sags down to the middle, right? Just on some of us. Head full of hair. Well, you know what happens. Okay? This is, this is life. God's called you to his glory, which will come after the current struggle. So here's, so, so, so we need to pray about that? Yeah. God, help me to hang on. In fact, here's what he's going to specifically tell you to pray about. The next point is, pray that he will strengthen and mature you while you're here. Do you work in my life? Strengthen me. Folks, we need strength, right? You have no clue what's coming this week. You need strength, right? Mature me. Mature you. Do your work in my life. That's what he's calling us to. You say, okay, George, what do we do with these things? Well, Here's two thoughts I have as we conclude this entire series that we've been doing on the journey, okay? Number one, do not allow the journey of faith to discourage you. Don't allow it to discourage you. Because here's the thing, folks. Nobody ever promised, and I sure hope I haven't, nobody ever promised you that the walk with Jesus is going to be perfect. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because it's not. You're going to have times of struggle, of difficulty. You're going to have failure. Did you hear that word? You're going to fail. It's kind of like the Lord talking to Peter. Peter, you know, when you return, the assumption is that the Peter is going to what? Mess up. In fact, John, 1 John chapter 2, my little children, I write unto you that you sin not. But if you sin, you have an advocate. What's the assumption there? The assumption is, folks, you're human. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to sin. You're going to fail. 
So don't allow yourself this journey of faith you're on to discourage you. The issue isn't how perfect your race is. The issue is, is that you're going to make it. Do you understand what I'm saying? The issue isn't how well you run or, or if you're looking good the whole time as you're running. It's the issue is, is are you going to cross the finish line where he says, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And the reason why you know you're going to cross the finish line is because he helped you to cross the finish line. Do you understand? Because you can't do it on your own. Don't allow the journey of faith to discourage you. And then here's number two. Here's the number two thing I want you to grasp here. Pray that he, recognize that there is a blessing waiting for you. Recognize that. I think that's the number one thing that today the Christians in our culture have totally lost. We're so wanting everything to be so perfect in our country and wonderful. Great, we can spend all our time there and a lot of people are. But I'm going to be honest with you, that's all meaningless. Nobody, nowhere in the Bible does God promise anything to any nation except one nation and that's Israel. And one day everything's going to be burned up. But there's something greater for you because you know Jesus. That's where your hope is. Finishing the race. Being with him. So recognize that. Let me pray for you.